I'm Desiree. And I'm Taylor. You're tuned into Birthkeeper Banter, a space to discuss powerful birth stories, radical birthkeeping, and all things birth outside of the box. This podcast is produced by Herbal Training, and nothing discussed should be considered medical advice because birth is not a medical event. For classes and more information, go to herbal.teachable.com. Alright guys, welcome to this episode of Birthkeeper Banter. We are here with Valerie Clark. She is a birth photographer in Pennsylvania. So Valerie, can you tell us where in Pennsylvania you offer services? Um, I actually just moved to New Jersey uh, like about a couple months ago. So oh, I'm cool. actually now in Dover, New Jersey. Um, and I offer, I still offer services in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. Um, but I mostly stay in the Jersey area. Okay, great. So your husband was restationed? Uh, we actually, we got, we didn't get kicked out of army housing over there, but they're tearing the houses down. So we oh, found wow. another base here in Jersey to move to. So yeah, very he still cool. works in Pennsylvania, but we just live here. Okay, gotcha. Um, do you want to tell people a little bit about military life and how that works with you being on call while we're on that topic? Yeah, so normally, um, so I started birth photography three years ago, and my husband was actually deployed at the time. So being on call was a little crazy uh, with him not being home and having two dogs to worry about. So I was like going back and forth from the hospital to the dogs because it was a a 36 hour um, labor and delivery. So, but now that, you know, he's a recruiter, I have more free ability to be able to be on call and he's able to stay home when I actually go on call and go to a birth. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, that's something that people definitely don't think about um, is the animals. What happens to the animals when you go on call and you have to go to birth? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's important. Um, How else has being a military family affected your business as far as birth photography? So we move every two to three years and every two to three years I have to find you, you know, clientele, reestablish myself in an area and once I do that it feels like we get orders to move again so this time around has been a little bit more trickier because we live more of a civilian lifestyle since he's a recruiter Um, we don't really live on a big military installation where most of my clientele are military spouses so Mm -hmm. having to go out to like like the community and really put my name out there was a different you know experience for me and which is why I now also teach photographers how to get on the first page of Google so that they can you know if they're moving and if they're military spouses they're able to establish their business before they move. I love that I think that is so cool that you're really big on the search engine optimization and marketing And getting that out there because that is so important as part of being like a birth worker. Right. Yes. Yeah. So why did you get into birth photography? So the first birth that I did, it was a maternity and newborn client. And she had had five years of infertility, like unexplained. Nobody could tell her what was wrong. And they ended up getting pregnant. And she really wanted like that moment documented 
And I had been asked before if I wanted to be a part of a woman's birth space. And it was just not in my heart at that moment. But when she asked me and she shared her story with me, I had just gone through a miscarriage. So it just felt very, like, close to my heart. So I that was the very first birth that I photographed. And after that, after leaving that birth, I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I love birth photography. And now I specialize mainly in photographing bump to baby journeys for women who have suffered miscarriages and infertility. That's amazing. So can you tell me more about what that entails? Like what is the bump to baby package that you do? So bump to baby, I follow them from, so most of my clients actually hire me when they get like their first positive pregnancy test. Like they'll message me and they're like, I just got a positive. I want to hire you. I'm ready. So I follow them. Sometimes I do their, you know, their baby announcement and their gender reveal, but most of the time it's maternity, birth, fresh 48, and newborn. Okay, cool. Yeah. So what motivated you to be in that part of photography? Because there's so many different options that you can do, like you can shoot weddings or what kept you going in the birth field? So... I had shot a wedding. I shot it right after I photographed that birth, maybe about a month later. And just the environment and the setting, just being a part of someone's birth space is so different than being a part of their wedding. And like I said, birth photography has really healed me in a way that it's honestly kind of unexplainable. Every time that I see a woman give birth, when they have struggled with infertility issues and I've had miscarriages, it gives me like, it gives me hope that I too will be a mom one day. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's really why I kept continue to do it and I will continue to do it for as long as I can. I love that. That is so beautiful. Um, I know that Desiree wanted to ask you more about the infertility and where you're at in regards to like tracking and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I'll let her go ahead and jump in. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you do and that you work with women who have experienced loss or are having babies and you are in a place where you are trying and it's not occurring. Mm-hmm. That is like so special to me. I think that is awesome. And I was curious, like emotionally for you, is it ever challenging to work with the family and see them pregnant and then see them have their baby? Or is it always a positive experience for you? How is that for you mentally? Um, I think it's a lot different when I create that friendship off of being, you know, a birth worker with them. But it's, it's always hits me different when it's a friend. Like, you know, I've had repeat clients that have become friends and they'll message me and they're like, you know, Val, I, I just wanted to tell you that I'm pregnant I would love you to be a part of, you know, my second birth. And those hurt a little bit more only because they know that I, you know, have been struggling and, you know, Michael and I have been trying for four years. But just knowing that they think of me in that way and that they put, you know, thought into knowing or thinking of how to tell me, it kind of helps me a little bit more. Right. I can totally see how that would be a little bit challenging, to say the least. Um, But it's awesome that you still go forth and help them and support them and do their photos and whatnot. So in your own infertility, what have you been doing to 
like physically um, or emotionally, mentally, spiritually, what are you doing to try to conceive? Is there anything that you're doing to track your cycle currently? So last year I took a break from trying. Um, I think the first time that I really started like paying attention to it again was when I met you guys and you and y'all did the fertility massage. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. And yes. it was so crazy to me because I hadn't actually ovulated like with discharge in a long time. So once I did, once I ovulated with discharge, I was like, oh, okay, this is like something else. I'm going to start tracking. So I did for a while. And then um, we were going through so much stuff with selling our house back in Georgia and moving that it just wasn't like on my mind. So this year I have started doing LH tests and, you know, waiting for the surge. I tracked like my cervical mucus. Um, I haven't done the temperature yet. I just, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. I, it has consumed my life so much for the past four years, knowing that, you know, Michael's about to leave for another school and we're leaving next year. I just don't feel like I'm in the place where I can really put my entire time into it right now. That makes sense completely. And it is like temping and ferning and all of those super helpful ways of tracking. They are time consuming and it does have to be a consistent thing. You can't just do it Monday, Tuesday, skip Wednesday, Thursday. You need to do it consistently. Mm -hmm. So that makes complete sense. And not knowing where you're going to be, people are moving around. He's going to be busy all huge factors to take into consideration as well. I know we had discussed before about sperm analysis and things. What has been your experience with using those at home? Have they been pretty reliable and accurate or what have been your experiences with that? So we actually got this sperm test off of Amazon and it just, I don't think it's really like a consistent thing. It, It came back positive, but then, you know, you were talking about the mobility of the sperm and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. So we right now we're currently in a place where we're changing our primary care physician because she won't send me or Michael to a fertility specialist because I'm overweight. And I was actually in the hospital um, a month ago because I've been having really bad ovarian cyst pain. And she still won't send me to see anybody. So Michael really wants to get his sperm count tested, but in order for him to be able to do that, she has to approve of it because it's military insurance. That's horrific. Is there an option for a different primary care provider? Like not Um, her? We have to go through TRICARE, which is a whole headache on its own. Um, I can't call for him and he's so busy at work and they're not open on weekends. So it's just, Mm. just been a headache. I'm hoping that you know, once he's at school, that he has more time and that we're able, he's able to actually, you know, take 30 minutes out of his day to call during lunch. But right now with his job, it's inconsistent hours and he doesn't get home till like nine o'clock at night most nights. Wow. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. And with the sperm analysis that you were talking about, I've seen the same. So the women that I work with that have come to me and talked to me about their sperm analysis that they do at home, whether it's from Amazon, what have you, just the home Mm -hmm. evaluations, they are never 
mm-hmm. <laughs> correct like they'll do one it'll be positive next one's negative i know and they're like, like oh, 60 dollars really how that works yes it's ridiculous right yeah. i've seen the same so i always suggest going and if you can of course through insurance have them cover a full test for you and then for him as well that would probably be where i would start once you're able yeah. to of course absolutely so I've never used one of these tests. Like, what is it looking for for the positive? Just or like the live sperm, I guess. I don't. Mm. Yeah, it it wasn't really like the instructions and the actual reading of it wasn't really lucid. It came back positive, but it doesn't really tell you what it's positive for. It just says that it's positive sperm. I think that what it looks for is is there sperm in this sample. And there can be sperm there, but if they're, they have no mobility or morbidity, they're not alive. If they're dead or they're not able to swim, mm-hmm. they're no use. It's basically negative. And then they're saying it's positive and not relaying the rest of the important information. Can they swim? What is their ability to swim? Uh, all those different kind of factors. Right. That's so strange. Like, I can understand why that wouldn't be reliable because they have to take into consideration, like, the shape, right. the size, like... There's so much more in the sperm than just, is it there? Yeah, right. Yeah, and that's what I, you know, that's what I told my husband. I'm like, I don't, you know, he's like, well, it's positive. And I'm like, yeah, but what is it positive for? (laughs) Like, I start thinking about all the things. And so, yeah, I'm hoping that we can get a, you know, his sperm count done by the end of this year. Um, And we don't know where we're moving to next year. So healthcare everywhere is so different. Um, when we were in Georgia, absolutely. When we were in Georgia, they were so like ready to send us to a fertility specialist, like both of us together, and then he came down on orders mm-hmm. to deploy. So we put that on hold. Oh wow! And then he came back from deployment, and we're like, okay, let's start this process again. We know that we have two years left here, and you know, two years is more than enough time. Well, joke on us. We got orders to move here. And within that, those nine months before moving here, he was gone, like training, training other units, gone for school. He was just never home. So, Mm -hmm. and now that we're here, you know, it's the, they won't let him off of work for stuff like that. Like, yeah, so it's been, it's been a struggle. And I know a lot of people that are military spouses that are going through fertility that that have the same issue, you know, with TRICARE and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So do you notice that that like follows into obstetrical care and how people are being treated that are military families that have to go through TRICARE into um, their pregnancies and their birth? Have you noticed that with providers as well? They seem to be yeah. lacking. Um, I am not no longer comfortable photographing births in a military hospital. Um, I have mm-hmm. seen so many things, which is why another part of me wants to finish, you know, the dual course through y'all so that I can support women, you know, in that environment if I ever get comfortable to do it. But I have, you know, seen women go in as soon as their water breaks and they lay them down on that bed and they start them on Pitocin for some odd reason. And then they progress to like an eight. And then after 24 hours, they start pushing C-section. And at that moment, a lot of these women are first-time moms. They don't know right from wrong. They don't know what their choices are. But, you know, and back then, you know, in 2018, 2019, 
I wasn't well-rounded in, you know, birth, like, actual, like, doula stuff. You know what I mean? You know, mm-hmm. I was just there yeah. as their photographer. So now knowing the things that I know, <laughs> I know I'm not comfortable going into army hospitals uh, to photograph births. It's just the things that I've seen and the things that I've experienced and the things that I've heard been told to moms is insane. I've heard the same. That's been my experience with military facilities as well. From the stories I've heard and the women I've spoken to that birthed Mm -hmm. there prior, I've never heard of one good experience. And the things that I did hear, I'm like, wow, that doctor must have skipped every single class and didn't know what they were doing. I had one. They did the vacuum on the baby and they did it so much that the head was raw the next day when I went to go take fresh 48 photos. And she ended up in a C-section. That is so scary. But knowing what I know now, you know, just because you're at a 10 doesn't mean that you're ready to push. And, you know, now that I know that, (laughs) hopefully down the road, if I ever get comfortable to, you know, support a woman in a military hospital, I can explain that to them. Because when when they're there, once they're at a 10, it's like the whole, the whole like world comes into the room. And they're all looking at this woman, vulnerable by herself. You know, sometimes the husbands aren't there. They're deployed. And they're like, they start coach pushing them. And then that's when, you know, a lot of them tear really bad. And a lot of them end up in C-sections because they get exhausted by the time baby's actually ready to come out. Mm-hmm. Right. Pretty standard. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, now even attending home births, it's like with, like, you know, even if some attend, I, attending some home births with midwives, it's so, it, it can be so similar to me to the things that I've seen in the army hospitals. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. When the woman's not in control, it can go any kind of which way and horrific things occur whenever there's someone else governing and feeling as if they have say over right. yeah. the event. A hundred percent. Have you found that TRICARE uh, covers many midwives? Have you ever looked into that aspect of it um, or had a client that I, TRICARE covered I think their midwife? TRICARE now, they cover doulas and TRICARE. Um, but I think it's very specific, like, midwives and doulas. Like, I don't think they would cover, you know, a doula that doesn't have a certification or, you know, a, a trained doula, right. but she doesn't have a certification. It has to be, like, very specific things. So, or, yes. like, a hospital... Um, like you know those Red Cross doulas that they have at hospitals, they would cover that. Yes. Yeah. Right, right, and they basically right. they work for the yeah. hospital, so um, they're not going to be really any kind of help for advocacy mm-hmm. for their clients. Right. That's what that's I've seen in interest. Florida. Yep. Yeah, that's what I've seen in Florida as well because we have McDill. Um, right down from where I live and the military hospital and the OBs there are awful. There is basically one midwife in the area who's also a hospital-based midwife that is covered by TRICARE and really none of the birth center midwives or home birth midwives can get covered by TRICARE unless they have a nurse that works for them, a nurse midwife that is in their birth center or in their practice. So there's all kind of like loopholes and liabilities that they have to go through just to get covered by this insurance and then to not even get paid for like a whole nother year after the birth occurs. And it's just a whole spiral. 
and really keeps women that are relying on that military care from getting good obstetrical care or good midwifery care. And so they either end up with crappy options or they end up going unassisted because they just can't find a good option. I mean, and it's so sad that, you know, we only have, it feels like we only have one option. And because a lot of, you know, a lot of spouses are, you know, enlisted wives and they don't, our husbands don't make that much money to where we can say, okay, you know, we can pay X amount of money for a midwife and X amount of money for a doula. Or, you know, or even mm-hmm. to just have someone present at their birth. A lot of these women or a lot of these families can't afford that. So it feels like at the end of the day, right. that all they have is an option to either birth unassisted, which I don't know why they wouldn't, <laughs> but um, or birth <laughs> in the hospital, which a lot of them do. Right. So what would be your biggest suggestion or your best tips for people that are in the military, military wives um, that are expecting? Um, what would you suggest? For well, them? my thing would be find if you if you absolutely have to birth in a hospital, find yourself a good doula, someone that's going to advocate for you, someone that's going to follow and help follow your birth plan. Um, but if you can, then I would ask a, you know, a birth keeper, a local birth keeper or, or a midwife to see if they can do payment plans. Cause I know a lot of them do payment plans. So yeah, those, that would be mm-hmm. my advice. Awesome. And as far as like the military hospitals to go back to that and your birth photography, have you been able to get in with any of your hospital clients this past year with all the COVID restrictions and no. everything? So no, um, no, I even, even I've asked some of my friends who have gotten pregnant, um, at our last duty station and I photographed their births and they didn't even allow anybody, but their husbands and their husbands couldn't leave at all. So that is so sad because a lot of them want, you know, those moments documented and, you know, the husband can't wear all the hats, you know, especially in an environment where you know, it's only him that's there able to help her. He can't be taking mm-hmm. photos. He can't be, you know, a lot of men don't really know how to support their spouses is what I've learned as well in that setting. So yeah, them being alone really hurts me, but I do know that they are allowing doulas now. So, but you have to have like a certain certification, like it, you can't just be a trained doula. Right, exactly. They require that paper mm-hmm. documentation. And so now people are just making yeah. their own certificates, like just going yeah. and printing them I mean, I, so that they can just get know, in and support. You know, so crazy to, to me too as well is that a lot of birth photographers have, you know, gotten like those fast certificates and stuff like that just to get in. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's just crazy to me. I, I wouldn't want to say that, you know, that I've completed something and not completed it. But even though, you know, doulas aren't a regulated thing, but here in Jersey, they're actually trying to make them a regulated thing. I don't know if that's how. I saw that. Yeah. I think that, um, the bill maybe today or yesterday might've gotten declined. Like they're like, no, we actually need to get that rewritten 
because I was following that from another New Jersey doula that was really upset about it. She really didn't want it to happen. And I agree with her. Um, Doulas shouldn't be regulated like that. But yeah, I think that she posted that they shut down the bill until it gets reworded or something like that, because it would make it to where doulas could not practice at all unless they had a very specific certification, like a donor approved one. No, which nobody wants that. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Right. All right. No paternalistic care for the doulas. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, is there anything else that you would add that's important to you about birth photography or infertility, rainbow babies, anything like that that you wanted to finish Um, off with? Not really. I just feel, you know, a lot of birth photographers are. I feel like I'm really one of the only people that niche really down as much as I could to rainbow babies and infertility babies. So, I mean, mm-hmm. if you if people feel like in the birth photography world you can't really find a niche, but I feel like you can. You know, a lot of a lot of people, yeah, only in hospital births or only in birth center births or only home births. So, yeah, I would just say photograph at least you know, one birth in each environment and then learn what really calls you and calls your heart. For me, I know that I, mm-hmm. I couldn't do military hospitals anymore. Um, it would take me a while to get right. over that because I've seen a lot of crazy things happen. Um, and hopefully I will one day be able to yeah. go back and, you know, support women in, in that birth space, but not not anytime soon. I definitely understand that. I personally am not taking hospital births anymore either because of that exact same thing. Um, That secondary trauma is just too much. And it's so overwhelming when you do it over and over and over again and you get that burnout. And birth photographers get it too because when you have the education and you know that Mm -hmm. it can be different, then you don't want to be witnessing that and even capturing it, going back and having to edit those photos after seeing a woman be abused and then have to relive it can be extra traumatic yeah (laughs) thank you right exactly (laughs) and another thing that I just thought of what would you suggest for women that are wanting to hire a birth photographer like what should she look Um, for I would say I always meet with my clients before they book me in person because I would hate to not Mm -hmm. be able to have that same energy and you know be a negative energy in or not even the negative energy but you know, them not have full trust in me because that could really affect their birth space. Um, I want them to be 100% comfortable right. with me. And so I would say if you are looking to hire a birth photographer, don't just hire them off of the photos that you see online. Um, actually, do a Zoom call with them if you can or meet them in person so that you can actually hear their voice, mm-hmm. you know, read their, you know, their body language and see what type of person they are. Because I have had people, you know, that have come to me, they're like, Val, I wish you could move back. You know, I hired someone and she just wasn't my person. Like I didn't want her in my birth space, but I had already paid her. So yeah, I would just say meet them in person before you hire them um, and see what kind of person Mm -hmm. they are. I totally agree with that. I wouldn't want somebody in my space that I didn't 
feel out their energy in person as well, because that makes a difference for anybody right. that's going to be in your birth space. You want to make sure they have that good energy and they're really right. going to flow with you. Yeah. Well, awesome. Desiree, did you have any other questions for Valerie? No, I think we covered all the questions I had written down to go over. So I am all set. All right, perfect. Well, I appreciate you coming on, Valerie, so much. Thanks for talking about birth photography and um, military hospital, especially. That's really cool for people to know and to hear about because I feel like it's it's not not talked about very often. Um, And I hope that once you get back into your fertility journey, that it just goes really smooth and you're able to get a better... PCP and get into a reproductive endocrinologist and get some answers. So hopefully we can have a follow-up with you in the future and you have your rainbow baby because you definitely deserve it. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It is always a pleasure talking to you ladies. Of course. All right. All right. Have a good day. Bye. Bye.